guys, welcome to another episode of Live with the Cork in the Road. I'm Kelly. I'm your wine explorer here in Atlanta, Georgia, and I am chatting with people who are shaping the Southeast wine industry. Thank you for pushing play today on the Cork in the Road podcast. I'm Kelly, your host, based in Atlanta, Georgia. And my guest for today's episode is the freshly official certified sommelier, Haley Colmone. She works in wine distribution, but she also runs her own business doing private, customized tasting events in client homes. We talk about why she enjoys teaching and hosting tasting events, but we also talk in detail about her recent experience taking the certified sommelier exam through the Court of Master Sommeliers, which is very interesting because I was with her on the day that she did her final practice mock exam to prepare. She gives a behind-the-scenes type of recap of the whole experience with some inspiring tips for anyone pursuing a similar path. You'll also find out how she got into wine in the first place, and surprisingly enough, it has to do with a PhD program and a coffee farm in Brazil. So we get to dive a little into her previous work in coffee and talk about the parallels to the wine world. I love her energy, her curiosity, her interest in the unknown, and I hope you enjoyed today's episode as much as we did recording it. For Cork in the Road LLC, I feel like I've been sprinting since the 4th of July, doing a lot of events, private, public, media, and all the things, and it's been a pretty incredible couple of weeks, but I can't sit here without giving a shout out to everyone who supported the Fundraise the Roof auction that we hosted here in Atlanta because we just raised almost $16,000 for two talented wine professionals, Marvea and Jade, to pursue their WSET diploma programs. I still can't believe the numbers because it was so incredible, exceeded all of our expectations. Thank you again to Chelsea of the Enophile Institute for coordinating everything, the Porchetta Group for hosting on the roof at Grana, our volunteers, all the people who contributed items to the auction, and the 85 plus of you who came out on a Tuesday to party with us and take all of these amazing wines and experiences home. I'll never forget the energy on the roof that night. Thank you for supporting wine education and honestly making a couple of dreams come true in one night. I have a lot of events coming up so you can check out www.acorkintheroad.com for the ticket links and info and you can also sign up there for our monthly newsletter to be the first to know when event tickets are available going forward. On September 9th I'm heading back to North Georgia to teach a blind tasting class at Limoges Cellars that is all about the beautiful grape of Cabernet Franc. And then on Saturday September 16th I'll be back at the theater in Epicurean Hotel to host and produce the fall edition of Sip and Style, a wine and fashion pairing showcase featuring two clothing designers, two jewelry designers, and my handbag design partner, Donna of Pichirad. I will be pairing wines to the five ensembles and five dishes across five themes, and guests will have the opportunity to shop the looks and meet the designers after enjoying the fashion show and tasting event. The spring edition sold out, so head to acorkintheroad.com for the tickets if you would like to join us on that Saturday. This episode is just generously sponsored by Diane Carpenter and Rossnell Vineyard in Sonoma County, who just bottled the 2022 vintage on August 4th, which included two new 100% new oak, 100% single vineyard, 
Pinot Noirs in California, a Green Valley Calera clone and a Russian River 100% Mount Eden clone. New labels and everything. I can't wait for people to try these wines as I tasted them this spring when I was in Sonoma County and I was already excited about what was being expressed in those barrels. The Rossinol team will be harvesting the 2023 vintage in early October, which is quite later than usual actually, with Verasion just beginning here in August. But next month, I'll be able to give you a full harvest report, so stay tuned for all of those details. Rossnell also recently teamed up with a distribution company in Florida called 21 Wine and Spirits based in Miami. So if you are based in Florida or you work in the industry in Florida, you have first access now to this portfolio. For everyone else in Georgia, California, Illinois, New York, and Virginia, you can still ship these wines to your door. The 2022 Rosé is sold out, but we do have some of the 2022 White Pinot Noir still available to purchase as well as the 2021 Russian River Pinot Noir. So lots ahead, and I will be heading to Spain for the last week in August here. So keep an eye on Add a Cork in the Road on Instagram for updates and travel insights. I'll try to keep you all posted because, spoiler alert, I might even have the opportunity to pick some grapes in Pinades. So until the next episode drops in mid-September, please take care, and I hope you enjoy learning and being inspired by Haley's journey on this episode. Cheers, and we'll talk soon. So great to see you on this Friday afternoon happy hour. Thanks for being I here. Know. Thank you for having me. I did pour myself a glass of wine because it is 6 p.m. here <laughs> in Atlanta. You've been someone I've really wanted to have on the show. So thanks for being here. Of course. I'm honored to be here. Thank you for asking me to do this. I've been looking forward to it all week. Well, good. We're going to cap it off. Well, you just had some really big fun news. So we'll start with the big accomplishment and we'll kind of work our way back here because I saw you right before this huge thing happened. You are now officially a certified <laughs> sommelier. Officially. <laughs> right. It feels so, so good. It's I haven't gotten used to saying it out loud yet. <laughs> oh, try it right now. Say that you are a oh, what, gosh. Uh, I'm a certified sommelier. Yes, you are. Oh, yep. uh, <laughs> are you still riding the adrenaline from taking that exam? Definitely. Um, you know, every week I run into someone that I haven't seen yet and they congratulate me, which is super nice. And it just reminds me like, oh yeah, I did that. And it's crazy because you saw me before my last mock service. You saw my last mock service. Um, and I, you know, mentally was like, oh my God, I'm not ready. And then the week later, literally exactly a week, I was ready and it happened. Oh, it happened. And I did get to see you in total practice prep mode. But how are you feeling about this milestone in your education? What does it mean for you personally to have achieved this? Yeah, that's a good question. So, I mean, it's something that I've always wanted to do when I first dove into my wine journey back in like, oof, like 2018. Um, I was working at a restaurant and I, the guy that I was working under, like the sommelier, he was, I was infatuated by what he would say when he was talking about wine and the service aspect. So I was always attracted to the court uh, because of the service aspect, honestly. So, you know, I took my level one in 2019 and I was planning on taking level two in 2020. And then obviously the whole world shut down. Uh, so that was a little postponed. Um, so, you know, it actually it ended up being great though that I couldn't take it in 2020 because I don't think I was as ready then as I was taking it this year. But no, I feel, you know, it's a really big accomplishment. It's, uh, I, you know, people always ask me, other people studying, like, you know, what's the secret? What's the tip? And the only thing I can think of is, is discipline. Like 
you just have to commit to X amount of hours studying, X amount of days blind tasting. And if you can do that, then you can you can probably pass. Ooh, that regimen and sticking to it. Sounds easier to say maybe than to do, but I get that. So it has to be regular and routine. Exactly. Well, I did witness that last practice service exam for you. And to be honest, I think I told you at the time, but it was my first time in person ever seeing somebody do the mock exam. I'd never seen one before. Right. Yeah. There, you know, it's funny because the service that they're asking you to, to do in the exam is really outdated. Even the finest, you know, restaurants, you know, the Michelin star, I mean, Yes, the the bottle service is the same, but there's little nuances that you have to learn and really practice. Like you always walk clockwise around the table. These are things that really just don't happen anymore. So uh, little things like that were kind of hard to keep in mind, but it's it's fun. You know, it's like any other thing that you practice and then you, uh, you know, you set a goal and then you study or whatever work to achieve it. So yeah, the service part for me was was actually my favorite, which I know a lot of people hate that part. I've always felt super comfortable, like table side and, you know, you have to just pretend they're not master psalms at the table and they're just like your parents or whatever. Once you just kind of change your mindset a little bit, it gets a little less intimidating. I'm loving that you felt comfortable and that you were actually excited about that portion of the exam because I do feel like people, if you don't have that muscle memory from maybe being on the service floor or being table side, it seems like it might be a little bit challenging, but for people who may not know, can you just describe a little bit what this part of the exam entails? What do you have to show? What are you getting tested on in this portion? Oh, if Elizabeth is listening to this, she'll be very proud (laughs) with my answer. So in the service portion, ultimately, the number one thing is that you're confident and that you know how to divert. So, you know, they purposely are trying to ask you something that you don't know because they want to see how you react. So the service component, you have a master psalm sitting at the table. Uh, it can be one to four. I was lucky I only got one. Um, and, you know, they have you approach the table. So you're there's what they call mechanics. And so these mechanics are things like where you have your wine key stored, where are your pens? Do you have a notepad? Do you have the right wine key? Um, of course, they they ask you a champagne question. One of the tete de cuvées, there's about 20. So you have to have all 20 memorized. Um, so, you know, it's, it's, a, it's a combination of knowledge and information with mechanics. So of course, how you open the bottle of champagne, uh, more than just a, a silent removal of the cork, it's how you hold the label. It's how you ask them after, would you like it in an ice bucket or on the table? There's trivets. You have to put it on a trivet that's to the, perfectly to the right of them, to the right of the glass, to the corner of the knife. So it's like, all these little idiosyncrasies plus the knowledge. And then while you're pouring wine and physically doing the service, they're asking you questions about sake, about cocktails, about wine regions. So you're having to really multitask. And granted, you're also like freaking out on the inside because you're like, if I mess this up, you know, that's it. So there's nerves, there's, you know, technicalities, and then there's pure knowledge. So it's it's definitely the most nerve-wracking, but I think it's the most fun. <laughs> you just named so many things going out at the same time and you're saying this is what you love. <laughs> I am not surprised for one second to hear that you do have a background working in restaurants since you were like 12 or something. So do you think that that experience plays into how you performed in the exam? Oh, absolutely. I think there's no secret to service. It's experience and 
yeah, I was, you know, when I was 12, did I tell myself I was lucky working in restaurants? Probably not, but definitely with all things, you know, in my life now, I'm super grateful that restaurants were kind of where I grew up and feel that comfortable with unfamiliar people. You worked your way around those questions while you were trying to do the mechanics. I remember seeing this happen. I could feel the multitasking energy. Like (laughs) there was a lot going on, but you just stayed focused and you did to me really well. I thought the questions were absolutely meant to trip you up. You were asked about specific recommendations for whiskey flights or something like that, like American whiskey flight. What would you recommend? Yeah, I know it was. And you know, it's so funny because in all my mocks, I was asked like crazy questions. Like, you know, I want to do a a, a vertical of whiskeys from, I don't know, something crazy. Um, So I... I had memorized like Speyside whiskeys, Scotch whiskeys, all these different types, Highland whiskey, like all these different types because I was worried I was going to get a question like that. I studied, I memorized, not studied, I memorized 75 different cocktails and the cocktail they asked me about was a Cosmopolitan. (laughs) I try not to laugh of all of them. That's the one that I get. But that was a funny moment. You studied 75 obscure ones just for no, for no reason. Do I remember them? Maybe a few. But it's just uh, that's that's the the thing about the court. The biggest difference that I people always ask me that are interested in going court or W set. Uh, the service component is definitely the biggest difference. But also, you know, the court doesn't they don't really give you a structure. They can test you on anything and it's very vague. So you kind of have to know a little bit of everything versus WSET, uh, which I prefer the structural element that WSET offers. You know, they're very like, here's your textbook. This is what you're tested on. These are the wines that are, you know, probably going to come up. So that's the big difference. But again, and Elizabeth and I have talked about this. There's something attractive about the unknown and the uncontrollables and entering an exam like that, where you just have no idea what's coming your way. Exhilarating. And that's why you still have adrenaline from that day. Were you confident the day of the exam? I was. Honestly, I leading up to it, I wasn't. Like that week, that day before, I was like, I was most nervous about theory. Maybe I was confident, but super nervous. But honestly, once I did each, you know, you go in for your tasting right at 8 a.m. And then it's followed with your theory. And then it's followed with your service. After I did the first taste, like the tasting, I was a little like, ah, like, I think I got the wines, but you you never know, you know, it you could have totally been off. But after I did theory, which was funny because I was the most nervous about, I was, I left super confident. I was like, okay, I just... I nailed that. And then again, I I knew that I was really confident in the service part. So I'm like, okay, as long as my tasting was good, I know my theory was good. I think I'll crush service. So the hardest part was waiting because, you know, you take your theory part and then they tell you to come back three hours later for service. Your brain is going in a million directions and thinking, what did I do wrong? Exactly. Exactly. It's pure torture. but. But then you come to the end of the day and you have the moment where they tell you if you passed or not. So what was that moment like when you heard your name and you heard past? What went through your head? It was so surreal. There was 30 or 29 of us that took the exam and nine people passed, two of which were female. And I I was one of the last ones. And this always happens to me. This happened to me in my level one. Anytime I've ever had my name called out, I'm always at the end of the line. They call you and you're supposed to walk up to the master salon that gives you the glass of champagne and the pin. And your certificate, and I like had to be like, Haley, move your feet, like go, like you, you, you did it, like you can go up there. So it really was surreal. It, it definitely like took me a second. Um, but yeah, how did I feel? I felt 
like, oh my God, like, I can't believe I, I can't, I really, like, I can't believe I did it because, you know, the pass rate is just not super high, but yeah, I, I was just relieved. I was excited and I was just really proud of myself because I really, I wanted to do this for a long time and I'm, I have a lot going on with work. And so I always told myself for many from 2020 to 2022, really, you know, you're too busy with work. You don't have time to study, but then I just, you know, i I had to just, again, go back to the discipline and just be like, you just set aside these many hours and and just commit. That's really inspiring to hear because you were telling yourself you didn't have time to do it and you found the time and then they tell you you passed. All of that becomes worth it and all of that feeling of accomplishment rolls forward. So this is really exciting. I'm just, congrats. I love it. I'm so it. glad and that you got to be a part of the process. It's so special. At the very end. I was yeah. right there at the end. <laughs> yeah. Well, but you know, Atlanta is such a great community. And honestly, I said this to everyone that helped me. Like I wouldn't have, I really don't know if I would have passed if it wasn't for the support of everyone that was, you know, helped me, whether it was just being supportive or with like setting up a blind tasting for me or just, you know, it was the help of everyone. Well, that blind tasting group that I was able to join on a Monday, I can't always join on Mondays, but I really enjoyed that I was there with you all because there was this energy in the room because everyone feels invested in each other's journey together. Like we're all studying for something or bettering ourselves in the wine industry through these skills. And so there is this sense of camaraderie, which we'll come back to because you are a big part (laughs) of that camaraderie, which is really awesome. So you must be using this knowledge to teach others because I have even sent my own clients your way (laughs) when my schedule hasn't allowed for me to book private tastings. And with my clients, I have requests and I send them your way. So tell me about the business that you're currently running, Haley. First of all, thank you for sending me those clients. They've all been amazing. So yeah, so I started oddly enough in COVID times in 2020 of April. Um, I had left the restaurant I was working at at the time and I was just, you know, you got free time. And I got the idea to host public wine tastings at my house. Again, kind of during COVID time, some people might be like, oh my God, why would you do that? But crazy enough, every Friday um, they booked out. Like we're talking like 15 to 20 people every single Friday in 2020. So really I was just looking for a way to, I was studying to have an outlet for what I was, the knowledge that I had in my head and, you know, a way to share that, but also a really just why not? Let's just see what happens. So I did that and it really couldn't believe the the response that I got. And then I started getting a lot of inquiries for, hey, you know, it's my my girlfriend's birthday. Can you come to our house and do a tasting here? Hey, we, you know, we just moved to Atlanta. Can you come do a housewarming? And literally you name it, like bachelorettes. I just did like a basically a, a dress party last week. So this this woman, um, she's getting married and she bought like several different dresses that she wanted to try on for her friends and have them help her decide. So I paired wines with the dresses. So you name it. I mean, I've probably done it. Um, So it's really cool because it in the world of wine, I also work in wine sales and we can probably touch on that later. But you know, there's not a ton of creativity there. I mean, there is in their in its own way. But The wine classes really allow me to talk about and teach and educate people on wines that I'm really excited about that may not necessarily be wines I'm I'm selling. So I'm very lucky and grateful. I mean, word of mouth and and really like Instagram has been my uh, success with getting, you know, people to find out about me and book me. And, you know, once I do one event, someone there is like, oh my God, I want to do this with my parents or gift it for my friend. So the more I do, the more 
demand there is. And I'm, I'm super grateful for that. So it can be pairing dresses with wine or it can be a million different things. That's a pretty cool thing. We have that in common. I often pair wines with fashion items. So we'll have to swap ideas with them. But I do love this because you have the creativity here. What types of classes and tastings are people requesting? Is there a common theme that comes up for you? Yeah, I used to, when I was first doing this, I got real, I started really nerdy because it was what I was excited about. So Shannon from four different parts of the world or different levels of sweetness and Riesling. And then I realized that I was, I was speaking above people. I was talking about something that was really not a, a, a tangible for a lot of, you know, just regular people that regularly consume wine. So I really started like honing in on you know, I had to think about who my audience is. Like, do I want to educate other wine professionals or do I want to educate the everyday person that's just, you know, drinks wine on a Friday night? So I found that I, I as much as I love also educating wine professionals, I, fi- I found more of like a niche with the kind of like not so savvy wine people because they are buying wine regularly. They're drinking wine regularly and they really don't have a lot of information about it. So that's kind of where I like, I grabbed onto. And so I really had to hone back on my themes and do more, you know, not, not to say that they're not amazing themes, but you know, new world versus old world, or let's deep dive into Italy. And let me just like talk to you about the history of Italy and what the common grapes are and stuff like that. I did a class called Big Macs in Burgundy. This was not my idea. This woman, uh, Victoria Stone, I believe wrote a book, uh, Big Max and Burgundy, and I got the idea to to replicate that tasting. So to answer your question, the number one asked for class is Big Max and Burgundy. Of course <laughs> um, it is. <laughs> didn't realize what I was doing to myself when I when I did that the first time. Because people still, I mean, they DM me, hey, can you do this? Hey, are you still? And so that speaks to also like People want to learn about wine and drink wine with maybe not so fancy, quote unquote, foods. Um, I think a lot of people are intimidated when they're at a restaurant and a tasting menu to really ask the questions about wine. You know, if a psalm's at a table, I'm sure they're sharing tons of information. But if you're someone that maybe doesn't have any foundation, you're probably lost and they're saying words that you don't know. So with a, with a Big Mac, you know, anyone can everyone's pretty much, I would hope, had a Big Mac at least once in their life. It's easy for them to understand, you know, when you go through why this Pinot Noir from Burgundy is pairing so well with such a simple, quote unquote, food. Uh, It's like they have a a light that goes off. And so I, I don't mind doing those, you know, food and wine silly pairings for that reason. And it allows you to be creative with that and connect with people that they will actually be using that type of information as they're pairing wines in their home. You're in their home, you're educating them, you're giving them tools that are so easy to apply to their normal daily schedule. I love that, Haley. That's so, so important. It's so (laughs) good. Yeah, that's the goal. Big Macs and Burgundy. That's that's your thing. That's that's what we've got. If you want to learn about that, contact Haley. What do you enjoy most about going into people's Homes, a lot of times they don't know you in advance. At this point, you're just getting requests online or word of mouth. So you go into someone's home. What do you like about that atmosphere? So that's a really, really good question. I'm glad that you asked me that um, because 
a lot of people ask me that. Um, so I, I love that you don't know what you're walking into. Maybe this is going back to why I love the court of masters so much, you know, working at restaurants a lot, you, you're, you're constantly kind of on, you don't really know how busy it's going to be, what kind of guests you're going to get at your table, but you just know that you need to anticipate needs and adapt really quickly and kind of just provide a service and really more of an experience. So, you know, luckily I've had mostly 99%, uh, really awesome people, but I kind of like it's like thrilling, I guess, to not know who I'm about to meet or I've never been at this person's home. I don't know what their setup is like. I don't know if they're going to be super interested. I mean, I've had groups where, you know, they're 25 years old and they just want to drink. And I'm like, okay, I can do I can we can do that. And then I've had people that are like all have notepads and they want, you know, it's there. It's like a class for them and they're taking extensive notes. So it it's always a little bit different. And I think that I really I guess maybe the theme for me is I like the variance of environment and the kind of the uncertainty and just having to to make it work and and no matter what just they have a good time hopefully I don't get any weirdos in the future I love how your fingers were crossed when you just said that (laughs) (laughs) no weirdos allowed to Haley's business noted I get it you are also very clearly into people and learning about what people want and their interests and then finding out how to meet them with wine knowledge with where they're at and what they want. Uh, I think that that's a really cool skill. So does that mean that that aspect of the certified sommelier knowledge, what is the way that you're now using what you've learned throughout that formal education process? How does that apply to the in-home tastings? To be honest with you, it, <laughs> I don't want to say it's it's not applicable because it definitely is. <laughs> um, you know, when you're studying for the quartermasters for a certified, it's a lot of technical information, like how long can Barolo be aged in what vessel? And so it's it's very specific. So with my private in-home tastings, when I kind of, honestly, I don't really, like you said, I don't really know till I show up. If people are really into it, then I really deep dive with them. Um, I, I would say the way that the certified has helped me the most in private tastings is with the history. When you're studying, it's a lot of history about the region, about the soil, about the aging regiments, and that really sheds light into the wines that the place, wherever we are talking about, is making. So it's definitely given me a wider understanding of each region and each style and just more of a knowledge bank to be able to share with the people that really want to deep dive with me. And you can pick and choose what type of information comes forward. What you highlight is going to vary depending on your audience. That's also a skill with having the broader knowledge. You can then focus and narrow in as needed. Exactly. So yeah. fun for you. Again, the challenge of the unknown. Right. <laughs> yep. like, if I don't know what's going to happen, send me forward. This send is perfect. Me. Just send me. I love learning a little bit more about your background in the pre-wine days as well, because we happen to have some parallels in the way that we found wine while studying something completely different in a whole different part of the world. So (laughs) I found wine while I was studying abroad in Argentina. That's really where I found this passion for, oh my gosh, I need to know more. But for you, it sounds like it wasn't originally wine. It was a coffee farm. 
in Brazil that was the game changer. How does that connect back to wine, Haley? Draw the line for me. Draw the map. Yes. So it sounds very uh, disconnected, but I assure you there is a there is a line. There's a way. Um, there's a way. <laughs> so I'll try to give the the condensed version. So I went to school for psychology and philosophy. I was enrolled in a PhD program for clinical psychology in 2018. At the time, I was working at Grady Hospital and Emory in a research lab. And in between undergraduate and graduate school, I took a, a gap year, basically. So I, I got into the school, but then kind of was like, well, actually, I want to go travel. So kind of random. So my supervisor, Emory, wrote me a letter to defer my acceptance. That's that's kind of important. So I, I decided to go travel, but I didn't want to just you know, where am I going to go? What am I going to do? I wanted to really immerse myself. So at the time I was super into coffee. So I was like, I'm going to go work on a coffee farm to like really understand this beverage that I'm obsessed with. I guess I've always been obsessed with liquids. Um, <laughs> so I got really lucky and I ended up with a great family on an awesome farm. We were in an area called Makoka, which is about three hours Northwest of Sao Paulo. So I was enrolled in my PhD program. I left September 1st, I deferred my acceptance a year. So I, I had theoretically a year to travel. So I started with a three months in Brazil working on this coffee farm. And it was by far like, I don't want to say the best experience of my life, because that's very dramatic. But it was the, one of the most influential experiences of my life. You know, when you're living in another culture, as you know, living in Argentina, like you're exposed to so many different cultures and languages and, and ways of life and thinking patterns. And, you know, I was in school and I was very regimented and this is what I'm doing. I'm getting my PhD in clinical psych. I'm going to become a psychologist. Um, I had this plan. Uh, and so living in completely outside of everything that was familiar to me, I just... I don't know. I just really started thinking a little bit. So I was on the farm for actually four months. I, I really loved it. I was pretty much in charge of hosting the green buyers. So there are people that travel all over the world to really big coffee farms to taste coffee, to then decide which coffees they want to bring back to their coffee shops. So what happened was I was meeting a lot of people that lived in Paris, Romania, Budapest, or Hungary, um, you know, all over. And they, a lot of them were also really into wine. Um, so I made really good connections in Brazil. I decided that when the four months ended, I wasn't ready to come home. So I kept traveling for six more months um, by myself. And I just kind of made it this coffee wine journey and visited lots of wine regions. And it was purely at this point in time, I, I was still getting my PhD. I was not working in coffee or wine. I, you know, it was more so like an adventure and an exploration phase rather than like a career switch at this time. And I was in Portugal and I, you know, just had this like epiphany that I don't know for sure if I wanted to continue with uh, the path of a graduate program. So I really basically, I fell in love. I've always been in love with wine. You know, I grew up in a restaurant. I've always been around it. My family's Italian. We've always had it, you know, around us. So wine was always like in the back over here. And, you know, I never thought of it as a career, but this trip really made me start thinking about how can I be in the wine industry and not just be a server, but what does that look like? Do I have to be a sommelier in a restaurant? You know, do I, you know, so it's just started to like really marinate uh, in my mind. Because you're a lover of beverages. This, right. <laughs> <laughs> there's a lot of parallels and synergy already and finding the connection to the places where these beverages are from and the people who make it. And I have not had anybody on this show who has shared a love like you just did for coffee. <laughs> I am so delighted to find this uh, out about you. 
I had no yes. idea because yeah. that is often a way that people can find a way to learn about other beverages. The parallels between coffee and wine, there's probably a lot. I can think of a few for myself having my dad was obsessed with coffee. So that is what got me originally into coffee as well. And you think about the way that people enjoy it or the atmospheres or the settings, but what are some of the parallels to you of the beverages themselves that stick out to you the most? Yeah. Um, I like to start with the fact that, first of all, you know, they both grow out of the ground. They're both crops. Um, a lot of people don't know that coffee, the bean that we get, that we buy in a store that looks brown or black, that comes from the inside of a cherry. So it's the seed of a fruit. And so coffee is fruit and wine comes from grapes, which is fruit. So we're starting with the same kind of raw elements-ish. Um, so first and foremost there, um, the soil types, the environment where these, um, whether it's a coffee tree or a vineyard is growing. So there's the viticultural element, you know, soil type. Is there a lot of rain? Is there a lot of sun? Are we on high altitude? Um, when you're tasting coffees, you can all the same things that we look for when we're tasting wine in regards to the viticultural practices can be identified in terms of that they're different in coffee. So there's the viticultural part to it. And then there's the actual tactile sensational part. So with coffee, you know, there is fruit, there's body, there's acid, and there's tannin. And there's fruit, body, acid, tannin, and wine. So we talk about the same elements when we talk about the two liquids. They're different, of course. Like in coffee, you get a lot of kind of like caramel and peanut butter and uh, cacao. So the subjective kind of adjectives, the actual things that we're smelling and tasting are perhaps different than wine, but it's the same idea. It's the same uh, structural breakdown. The way that you just said that made me think about the way that you are probably enjoying your beverages. Do you enjoy and taste wine and coffee the same way? Are you analyzing them in any parallel way? So I used to. When I came back from that trip, I worked at a, co a coffee shop in Atlanta called East Pole. Ooh, I love that place. It was, and I went there because they were a roastery. So I wanted to be really close to like the, the quality control of the product. And they were talking about opening a wine bar. So it was kind of like the perfect little match made in heaven for me. That's actually where I should have said this at the beginning, but I actually, my first wine class I ever taught was at East Pole. The owner asked me to do a wine class for the staff and specifically parallel how coffee and wine were so similar. That was the first class, which was, which is looking back, that was February 2019. So it, that's pretty crazy. But yeah, so, so nowadays with my coffee, I'm, I used to be really snobby about it. Now I'm just like, if it's got caffeine and it doesn't taste like shit, I'll drink it. I'm not going to lie. I kind of <laughs> wanted you to say I'm just as nerdy about coffee. I kind of <laughs> wanted you. <laughs> I used to be, you know, I because, okay, so another thing, back to your original question, like there's different varietals of coffee, of beans. So for example, one is Katura, C-A-T-U-R-R-A. It's pretty popular now. There's geisha, which are like these prized coffee plants. So there's different varietals and the varietals, just like varietals in wine, express different characteristics. So I used to be like, you know, I, I would go to, I'd frequent all the local coffee shops. I'd find out what the coolest, newest thing that they was, that they had. I would practice all different brewing methods, the pour over versus the French press versus an aero press. I used to be really into it because again, there's so many elements that you have, you could control and it's going to change how the coffee tastes. And I still play around with it like on the weekends a little bit, but my focus is, is, is much more wine <laughs> these days. You care about the wines that you have at your home instead of the roasts of your beans. I think that's really fun, though, because you are 
still bringing a lot of that knowledge and the way that you talk about it, the vocabulary is very similar. There are always going to be people who like other types of beverages in the same way. Mm -hmm. How cool to have the dialogue to bring people into these spaces from a background in some other type of beverage. So you can still continue to do that with coffee. If you had to choose though, working in a coffee shop versus a restaurant or a wine shop, where would we find you? Would we find you in the wine side of things these days? Definitely in a, in a wine shop. Yes. Okay. <laughs> not to, I love East Pole for the record. I fully support East Pole, but working in coffee is not what it sounds like. Um, you know, people come in at 8 a.m., they want their extra hot cappuccino immediately. And so it's a really fast paced working environment. And, you know, I remember I used to spend 20 minutes every morning dialing in my espresso to make sure it was perfectly balanced. And that just is a, you know, you're balancing the sugars and the acids like wine. Um, and so you dial it in perfectly and then someone comes in and they order like an iced vanilla latte and you just dump your perfectly dialed in espresso into that. So, you know, that shifted my mindset on specifically coffee shops. Like for me, I, I was no longer interested in, in being in, in that side of things. And also I had started my journey with coffee on a farm with the people that are growing these coffee trees that are picking and harvesting by hand the cherries. And so to, to go from that to like the coffee shop back in Atlanta, it was a big shift. And definitely, honestly, I'm grateful for it though, because that at that point when I was like, okay, I don't think I want to work in coffee. That's when I started taking my wine career more seriously. So it was the lead-in. We have coffee to thank for Haley finding her way eventually <laughs> to wine. And speaking of the day-to-day, -day, the schedule, you do have another job in wine in the business space. So the day job now, what's a normal day like for you here in Atlanta? Uh, there's no such thing as normal. No, I'm just... there is no average day. Right. So yeah, that's so I work in distribution. So I'm a sales rep also for um, a smaller distributor here in Georgia. And the day to day is again, very different every day, but in general, as normal as possible as it could be, you see a, like four to five appointments a day accounts rather. So for example, um, it could be a wine shop, it could be a restaurant. And so I will show up to the, the restaurant that I call on, let's call it Kimball House. Um, and I'll, you know, I'll show them four to six wines. And, um, you know, it is, you, you have to think about, okay, what kind of cuisine is, is this place? Um, what price point are they looking for? So there is a creative aspect, but it's also sales, right? So what am I going to be able to sell? So normal day, you know, you're driving a lot, you're definitely like eating lunch in your car, and you're showing wines, you're tasting people on wines. A lot of people that aren't in the wine industry, they're like, so you just drink all day for work? And I'm like, no, nope, not quite. Not really. I wish. You yeah. talk about <laughs> drinking the whole time, but you're actually not drinking. Exactly. Mm -hmm. So yeah, you show wines, you, you're, you're trying to sell wines, but you're also informing them about the regions and the grapes and the styles and the winemakers. So it's very enriching in that way. You do lots of, you know, kind of consumer events for, for like your retail wine shop. They'll be like, hey, come pour, you know, Thursday night for a few hours. So really, again, like it's, it's every day is a little different, but ultimately the goal is to find the right wines for the right people within their space, whatever that might be. See, you're still matching people's needs and interests <laughs> to the way that you are selecting what wines to bring forward. I think you're in the right place, Haley. I think you've, <laughs> I think you're, you've found your way from coffee for really good reasons. And we have a lot of common friends 
in the Atlanta wine community. I've loved how many people know you and I see you hanging out with people that I love hanging out with. Like, it's so fun. There's a lot of connections here. So how do you describe the camaraderie? We mentioned that earlier in the show, but the camaraderie in Atlanta, the wine community itself, to people who don't live here or study here, what's it like? I love that. So yeah, I mean, I I get I got goosebumps actually when you just asked me that. Um, it is honestly so, like you said, everyone is so invested in the success of the other. There's really not this competitive or, you know, there's no competitive energy. It's like, oh my gosh, this is incredible that this is like your journey. Like, how can I help you be on this journey or get to your goal? So to describe the Atlanta wine community, I mean, it's just like, it's so wholesome and it's, it's just kind of constant. Those are the first words that came to my mind. Like I could pick up my phone right now and I have at least 10 people I could ask a, a question about whether it was, you know, a stylistic thing about a wine, like a super nerdy question or, Hey, can I really need a, this favor? Uh, can you lend like, you know, whatever it might be. So I think the Atlanta wine community is, is incredible. And I want to say it's, it's even more tight knit than maybe some bigger cities, I, I don't know because I don't have that experience, but I do feel like Atlanta is really special and everyone has really come together. And I feel like in the last five years, you've seen this like surgence of more people entering the wine community and changing careers and being supported and really going and committing to some sort of certification or career in wine. And I think a lot of us don't necessarily come from a, you know, kind of come from a, an odd place. That's how we got to wine. It's not like a direct path. And I find like the people in Atlanta, like same kind of thing, like a lot of them kind of either fell into it or it became like it was a side passion and then it became their career. And so I think maybe that's what we all have in common is it's somewhat new for all of us ish, but um, we all are really committed and eager to like continue learning. Don't the conversations that come out of those meetings though make you so intrigued because people do have crazy backgrounds. I find out things new about people that I thought I knew in wine here mm -hmm. in Atlanta for several years and then something will come up in these random bottle share conversations or something and I'm like, I had no idea you did that in a past right. life. <laughs> I know. My, one of my favorite questions to ask people in the wine industry is, what did you do before wine? <laughs> because oh. there's always an answer. There's always an answer and I, I love that that story, that what what changed for you that got you here, that's like my favorite thing to learn about people. So as diverse or crazy as the answer to that question could be, the current is the tie. The current is the common ground, that center of the Venn diagram. However we got there, everybody is in this space where we enjoy being part of the wine industry. And you are living that every single day and bringing more people into this space, Haley. So that's amazing. Yeah. <laughs> I know. It, it feels, it's very um, gratifying. And I, yeah, it's incredible. <laughs> well, you do, you probably get questions a lot about recommendations for certain things or, you know, what's new on the market, all of this. So I would be crazy <laughs> not to ask you, what is something that you're drinking these days that you think everyone should try? What should we seek out that you are just absolutely loving right now? So you would think that wouldn't be a hard question. Um, I kind of wanted it to be a hard question. <laughs> <laughs> so my first thing that came to my mind is Chocoly. Chocoly is a Basque white wine. Um, it's got a crazy spelling. It's like T-X-A-K-O-L-I. But um, for me, that that is my, I drink more of that than, than anything because it's lower ABV. It's so fresh. You don't have to think about it. So that's kind of something that I, I've always hoped more people would learn about and, and buy and drink and so that... I mean, I guess maybe I shouldn't want that because then there's going to be less for me to purchase. 
Did you answer that knowing I'm a few days away from going to Spain? Did you? I, I, I did not know that, but now I want to know where in Spain you're going. Yes. And I'm, I'll be going very close to that area where that wine is from because I'm going yes. to be going to San Sebastian. So that's okay. right there on the coast. So you can, it's one hour drive from San Sebastian. You can drive one hour to Guitaria. Um, but also while you're in San Sebastian, I have a whole list of recommendations, but you must go to Bar Nester and get their Chulatone, which is a dry aged ribeye. And it's like the best thing you've ever eaten. I did not know I was going to fill my itinerary for Spain through this conversation. This is amazing. <laughs> yes, I welcome everything. We're going to be staying in Rioja, but one of our day trips is to San Sebastian. So okay. I want to drink all of those types of wines that you just said as I'm sitting there having my northern Spain coastal food. Yes. I, that's, you just described the exact wine that I want to be drinking up there. And that's that's what they pour. They drink chocolate all day, every day. I mean, I'm talking like 10 a.m. when the little pincho bars open, they're pouring chocolate. So um, I'll send you a list um, later so you have some other recs. But so, yeah, I always say chocolate. I mean, right now, I, I feel like I've always loved the Canary Islands. Um, I'm also pretty biased to those. I think I just like island wines or coastal wines. Um, but I always, you know, if if someone tells me, oh, just bring me your fave, like if it's a, a class, they're like, oh, just your top picks. I always bring Canary Islands because I really want to expose people more and more to that. What do you think it is about those wines, the Canary Islands in particular? What's intriguing about them to you? For me, so I visited them, or a few of them, not all of them. Um, there are like about eight islands off the coast, technically of Africa, but they're part of Spain. Um, and I visited Tenerife and Lanzarote, and particularly Lanzarote, it literally looks like the moon, like you're on a different planet. I mean, it's black volcanic sand, sand everywhere. It's super windy. Um, you know, you have the volcanoes everywhere and you're just looking around like, how do these vines survive here? It kind of just defies everything that you, I understood about viticulture. So for me, it's just, there's something that's like alive in the wines. It feels the most, the best way I can describe it is like alive. It's vibrant. It's like, they are just jumping, the aromatics jump out of the glass. The acidity is usually really high. They are mineral driven. They're kind of got this salty finish. There's always like this peppery note, a savory note. So, and maybe that too, like all of the Canary Island wines, I find to be more on like the savory side, even, and when I say savory, not like heavy, but like more vegetal or herbaceous and less like fruity and floral. So I think I just have an affinity to that, but when you Google the Canary Islands and the vineyards, these little tiny vines grow in these really massive holes that are hand dug and you're just in awe. You can't even fathom what the harvest would be like or how the wine is is made. So if I want island wine wrecks, I'm coming to you. Yes. If I want to have a Big Max and Burgundy <laughs> tasting, I'm coming to you. And I love this so much because you do have these things that I can tell you're very passionate about sharing with people. You described wines that you're drinking right now that take me to a place. And You've been to a lot of those places. And so having you be the voice for those places and speak about the joy through these wines is very exciting for the Atlanta wine community. I'm thrilled that this is what you do on your day to day, even if it's <laughs> right? on an average day yeah. or even if there's not a normal day, this is what you get to do. Yes. No, I, I feel lucky uh, that I get to talk about what I love uh, as my job. So it's very rewarding and it's very obvious the places that I'm very, the wines I'm passionate about, people often tell me, oh, so that's like your favorite. I'm like, could you see it on my face? I guess so. <laughs> Amazing. Well, people want to know 
more about what you're doing, if they want to book a class, if they want to talk about the Canary Islands, what is the best way to connect with you and find out more about what you're up to? Yeah. So you, uh, anyone that is interested in booking a wine tasting, a class, wants just any recommendations for Canary Islands or where to eat in San Sebastian. <laughs> Which is what um, I will be doing very yeah, shortly. <laughs> exactly. Um, my email is my name, just Haley, H-A-I-L-E-Y, Colmone, C-U-L-M-O-N-E, at gmail.com. Um, I also have a Instagram. You guys can reach out to me through that. A lot of people reach out to me through there. It's at S-O-M-M dot where, somewhere. So either any any of those ways, I'm happy to, Kelly, you're welcome to share my contact. I'm happy to, you know, for someone to call or text me as well. I will keep sending people your way because I really enjoy how you adapt to the needs of your customers. You can build and customize any learning environment to then help people continue exploring. I noticed that right away about the way that you talk about wine. We share that passion for doing that. So I really appreciate your time and your energy today, Haley. I can't thank you enough for what you're doing here in the community. Thank you so much, Kelly. I appreciate it. It's been a pleasure and truly appreciate you having me on. And I feel like I can't believe an hour's already passed. I'm like, we could just keep keep chatting. <laughs> no, I haven't even finished my glass of wine yet. So, <laughs> <laughs> Well, yeah, you got to get to that. <laughs> we will definitely connect and have more happy hours and bottle shares and all of that. Haley, please take care and cheers to you, my friend. Thank you so much, Kelly. I appreciate it. I'll talk to you soon. Bye. Bye. Thanks for tuning in to the A Cork in the Road podcast, coming to you live from Atlanta, Georgia, and interviewing people who are changing the wine world in the Southeast and beyond. You can find more about A Cork in the Road at at A Cork in the Road on Instagram, and make sure to check us out on www.acorkintheroad.com. See you soon, guys. Cheers.